Greetings, Forever Family. It is an honor to be worshiping with you tonight in rather strange circumstances, but uh, nevertheless, good to be doing so. Let's begin with prayer. Jesus, in this very difficult time when there is so much fear and turmoil, um, you can very much relate to us because it was the same way uh, during your execution in the days leading up to it. So be with us tonight. Send us your spirit and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One in a 30,000. Our text for tonight is taken from John chapter 19. and We're focusing on these words from the cross. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished... So the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stick of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Throughout Lent, we have been focusing on the theme, one in 30,000 which is the number of Roman executions that evidently occurred each year. We've been looking at the words that Jesus said from the cross, showing that Jesus' execution is utterly unique from any of the other executions that ever occurred in the Roman Empire. The problem is that the words we're going to be focusing on tonight don't fit that theme I mean, they are words that you would expect anyone to say from the cross during an execution. I am thirsty. You would expect that. I mean, Jesus has been up all night through several different trials, very stressful and intense. He has been um, subjected to a betrayal by his close associate, Abandonment by his disciples, rejection by the crowds of people whom he has taught and healed. He has experienced several beatings and mocking. He has carried his heavy cross through the streets of Jerusalem in shame, nailed to the cross, and now is hanging for several hours. So, of course, Jesus is thirsty. You would expect that. So this is going to be like the shortest sermon I have ever preached. But if you stop and look at this a little bit more closely, who it is that is saying these words and the context of his earlier life and the claims that he has made, this, these words are really, really deep water. So what we're going to do is we are going to flash back in time like that popular TV show, This Is Us. It drives me crazy when they do that on their show, but my wife thinks it's the greatest thing, so hopefully you can follow along. We're going to flash back three years. It is the first year of Jesus' ministry on earth. He is just traveling from Jerusalem back north to Galilee with his disciples for the first time. And they are traveling through the country of Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were at odds with the Israelites uh, because they were half-breeds, half-Jewish, 
half Arabic, and the cultural religious differences caused great animosity. It's on this trip through Samaria that Jesus has a very comforting, intimate conversation with a woman at the well. The woman is kind of an outcast in her village. And when Jesus asks her for a drink, she is so astonished that a Jewish male would actually talk to her that Jesus tells her, if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him to give you living water. And in response to the woman's confusion about living water, Jesus says these words. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow. Now, everything on earth needs water to live. Everything alive, anyway. But clearly, Jesus is talking about more than physical water in this verse. He is making an extraordinary claim that he is the source and sustenance of living water, life itself, the source of eternal life, which is an astonishing claim. And, and when we move back to our text on the cross and we consider that Jesus, who is, if the scriptures are correct and we believe they are, the source of eternal life, Crying out as he's dying on the cross, I am thirsty, is just a mind-blowing phrase. Until you stop to consider that all of this is a part of God's plan. It was God's plan that Jesus become one of us. And it's astonishing how often in the scriptures the details of Jesus' execution are laid out for us. In both Psalm 22 and Psalm 62, we're told that Jesus would get thirsty, that the Messiah would become thirsty, and that they would give him vinegar wine to drink. This was God's plan from the beginning, that God would become one of us. And in order to become one of us, he would need to become thirsty. I could argue that the essence of human brokenness is that we are thirsty. And I don't mean just physically thirsty. We are constantly yearning for something better. I can remember doing this for as far back as I can remember. And I know that I'm not alone in this. We are always yearning, longing that things would be better. Right? We love to play the what-if game. What if I were smarter? What if I were taller or stronger or better looking or more beautiful? Or what if I were skinnier? Or perhaps your what-ifs come in, in the realm of status, right? What, what if I were married? What if I were single? What if I had kids? What if I didn't have kids? 
What if I were the boss? What if I had better employees? What if I, what if I had a better boss or a better teacher? What ifs, right? What if I were younger? And if I remember back to my younger years, what if I were older? What if I were healthy? What if all of this coronavirus stuff would just go away and we could get back to our lives? What if? We are always thirsty, yearning for something better because that's the way God made us. He made us to be perfect. But we can never reach that in our broken condition. And so we are constantly thirsty, yearning for something better. The fact that Jesus cries out on the cross, I am thirsty, means that he accomplished what he set out to do, to become one of us. Jesus knows what it is to be longing for some perfection that he has willingly given up to take our place. He is longing for something better. He is longing to be reunited with his father because he has been rejected and separated from God in our place. He is longing to be pain-free because he is struggling with pain. He is longing to be guilt and shame-free because he is carrying all of our guilt and the guilt of all people for all time. He is experiencing hell itself and he is longing for what was that was God's plan to make it all new again. He had to become one of us. And in becoming one of us, he took on himself all of the just punishment to satisfy God's anger and wrath for the perfect world that we have broken. Jesus carried on the cross all of our worry, all of our fear, all of our failure, all of our guilt for those times where we were yearning for better but couldn't do it. He paid it all and in exchange gave us his perfection and his holiness. So Jesus cries out on the cross, I thirst. He has accomplished that. He is the spring of living water. And he promises that one day, you and I will set aside all of our anxiety, our fears, our failures, our guilt, our longing, our thirst, and we will be completely satisfied. He promises that one day, there will be no more thirst, no more hunger, no more pain, no more tears, and no more death. I don't know about you. But I can't wait for that day. I am longing, like Jesus, to be made new again in him. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, you promise us that when we come to you in faith, that you will be the spring of water welling up into us in eternal life. Sometimes we are so thirsty that we don't even know how parched we truly are. And so we thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you became one of us, that you know what it is to be in want, 
that you took all of our fear and guilt and shame and failure on yourself and paid it all on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for your cleansing blood, which has washed us clean and made us acceptable in your sight. And we honor and we worship you as the source of all life. And we anxiously look forward to the day when everything will be made new. In the meantime, Lord, we, like Moses, stand in the gap between a terrible disease and your people, and we ask that you would stop the spread, that you would grant healing. We ask for your mercy, and that we ask that you would protect your people, and that you would use the tragedies, the struggles that we are going through right now to bring your people closer to you and to reach out to many others that don't know you yet. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. And God's people said, Amen. Will you also pray with me tonight uh, Luther's evening prayer? Um, please join me. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Forgive me all my sins and graciously keep me this night. Into your hands I commend my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen.